once again, we're addressing a question that we, we put some, you guys uh, nominated some questions at the end of December last year, and you guys voted on those questions. We did a top 10 series out of this, and today we're right in the middle of the series. So today is a really, really, really important question, especially at your age, and it's this, how should a Christian date biblically? So everyone, get out your pens, get out your paper, and you're going to write a bunch of stuff down today. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to teach for about 30 minutes, and then you discuss some stuff here at the end. Um, but I'll warn you that whenever I get going about this topic, it usually goes for about an hour. Oh, you guys just ate breakfast. What are you complaining about? You're, you're good. You're good for the next hour anyway, right? You're okay. So as I was working on this this past week, I started thinking about the fact that I have a little daughter who is two years old, and she is so precious and so cute, and I just cannot imagine there being a day where a guy walks into my house who's good enough for her, right? I just can't imagine the day where that's really, really going to happen. And then as I'm thinking about that, I go to the mailbox, and this comes in the mail this week, this catalog from Barbie. Now, I'm not sure how they know I have a two-year-old daughter, but somehow they know. And they sent this to our family. I've never received this in my, in my life, in, in, my, in the mail that I get. Um, and, and so I started thinking, you know, this is actually really interesting because when you think about, I mean, just I started looking through here. I was like, this is kind of weird. So um, looking through it, they've got, uh, look, they've got a wish come true Barbie, right? Right? A wish come true. They've also got, very interesting, they've got, they've got one for every country. Every country has its own Barbie, so every girl can be indoctrinated. Almost every country. And then, this was the kicker for me. Um, they even have one, that Hunger Games girl. They have a Barbie for that. Yes, yes. In fact, I saw that movie a while back. It gave me nightmares. That was one of those days where I said, you know, Courtney, we need to go um, rent some films that our students are watching so that we can kind of stay connected. And she was like, Hunger Games. I'm like, okay, let's watch that. I know nothing about Hunger Games. Let's watch Hunger Games. And then she's like, let's watch Pitch Perfect. And I said, no. I could tell by the cover, that is not a guy movie, all right? And then, um, then to top it off, they also have, they even have Barbies for the Twilight Saga. And, and that dude still has his shirt off. What's his name? What's his name again? Jacob, yeah. So, um, and these guys are freaky looking. Look at these people. These guys are freaky. Look at that. That's not, that's just bad. And so, so I'm going through here, and I started thinking about just the whole Barbie concept, which is evil. And, uh, and Barbie does not, listen, listen, what is the re, why does the Ken doll exist? Why? Barbie. Like, Ken doll is only there because of Barbie. That's his whole purpose in being there. G.I. Joe never had a girlfriend, Right? 
he would just go, his purpose is to go and just kill people. That's his purpose in life. But Barbie's whole, listen, Barbie's whole existence is, and Ken's whole existence is to like be with Barbie. And so I started thinking about this, like how at a very early age, you might think this is kind of lame, but at a very early age, like it's indoctrinated into people like you, you need to be with someone, you need to have a relationship with someone. And, and so little girls at like three or four are playing with these dolls that are dating, right? Or they're together or whatever word you want to use. And so it starts really, really early. You have this, this culture pushing you in this direction and, um, and so you feel, you feel the pull in those directions. But we've addressed, we've addressed the, the male-female relationship thing for, um, I think, a bunch of times here. But I was looking back on my, my speaking calendar deal, and I actually keep a tab on every talk I've done here since I was a junior high pastor. So I know like what I've covered twice. And it's actually been three and a half years since I did a series on dating which means if you're, a fresh, if you're a senior now, you were a freshman back then when I did like a 10-week series on dating. I haven't done a series on it since then. We've done little talks here and there. But, um, but I feel like I've addressed it a bunch of times. But here we go again just for, this is a one-shot talk on this topic. Now, you must know that the Bible doesn't really address dating. The way that we currently date, the Bible doesn't talk about dating in that way. Dating is a fairly new idea in our culture in the last, I'd say, 50 to 70 years or so. So we have to go to Scripture with this in mind. Scripture does not address dating. We have to go to Scripture and get principles to apply to the current dating situation that we are in in our culture. Now, this might sound crazy for some of you, but listen, I really do believe that God's initial intent, I think his initial intent was for people to get married at a pretty early age. This might sound crazy I'm saying this as a youth pastor because you're thinking like, well, that means we're just going to go and like, you know, have relationships and stuff now that you said that. But because um, think about this. Why would, why would God get someone's body ready to like get pregnant and have babies if they weren't meant to like get married at a certain age? Like do we really, do we really think that God's design was Okay, you're going to go through that stage of life at like 13, 14 years old, but then you got to wait like 10 years because I'm just a mean God, right? Do you really think God is approaching things that way? And so I really think that God's initial intent was to have people get married at a fairly early age, but way back when, it was um, in ancient times, it was pretty much like you just went from being a, a young man or a young, young girl to like being a man or a woman. They considered you to be like, go from like childhood to manhood or womanhood fairly quickly. There was no teenage year thing. There was no adolescence in between thing back then. It was pretty much like, okay, you, you know how to build a mud hut. You can grow some carrots. You guys are ready to get married, right? That's all that's required. You don't have to have like four years of college education and all that kind of stuff to, to really make a living for yourself. But here's what's happened though. The culture that you and I live in has made it difficult for this to happen, right? Our culture's made it difficult for things to happen at a fairly early age, so things are pushed much beyond that. And so what happens is you've got this 10 to 15-year window where the window is, the door is open for all kinds of sin if you aren't really, really, really careful 
and God-honoring and Christ-fearing in this part of your life, right? In fact, um, I looked up some marriage laws in the States this week. Do you know that Texas, uh, the marriage law is, is 18 without parental consent? Um, but if you are 16 in Texas and your parents say yes, you can get married in Texas age of 16. How many of you guys are 16? Raise your hand. Okay, half the room could get married legally today if your parents just said yes to that, right? Um, so that's with parental consent. I also looked up some other states, and listen, Mississippi, the age is 21 without parental consent because they got, they got tired of all those cousins getting married, so they had to make it, they had to make it later for them. Um, but so there's this, there's this weird gap of like 10 to 15 years where you're just like waiting and waiting. You feel like you're ready, but you're not quite ready yet. And so we're going to look at six questions today that to, uh, for you to answer before you date anyone. So um, we'll take these just one at a time. So the first question I want to ask you this morning is this. Is the relationship or the idea of a relationship consuming your life? Is the relationship or idea of one consuming your life? And I changed it because the initial question was, is the relationship consuming your life? But I started thinking about this. There's a lot of people here that I know that have maybe never been in a relationship before, and just the idea of one is all-consuming for you. You just can't get that, that out of your mind. And so um, what I want you to know this morning is that it's natural for you to desire relationship, but when a relationship occupies the place of God in your life, it becomes destructive, and it becomes idolatrous. And so when a relationship becomes ultimate, this is where I get my joy, my satisfaction. I just can't imagine not having this in my life. When it reaches that point, it's now become idolatry for you. Exodus chapter 20, verse 2 says, You shall have no other gods before me. And you might think to yourself, well, I mean, I, I don't see a relationship as being like God in my life. I don't see it as that, having that status. But here's the deal, though. How do you know if a relationship has become idolatrous for you? Here's how you know. Do you have to be dating someone to feel good about yourself? Do you have to be in a relationship all the time to feel like you matter, to feel like you're significant? In fact, there was a girl that I dated in college just uh, for a few months, and this was a girl that um, I had met her when I first came to Texas. We started dating pretty much right away, and then when we broke up, I realized, man, this girl... She's got to always be with a guy, right? I, I think we actually counted through, through her college. After she and I broke up, it was like 17 boyfriends after, from like the time she and I broke up. And this is like a three-year gap until she got married. It's like 17 guys she dated. And, and most would look at her and say she was a, a fairly godly um, girl. And yet she just always had to have a guy. There was just always a guy just waiting, 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 right? And, and, and it was like she could never, ever be single. Have you ever experienced this? Have you left all of your friends and replaced them with your boyfriend or girlfriend? Are there people that you used to hang out with, have a relationship with, that say, look at you and say, yeah, you've, you're pretty much just into that relationship and that's it. That's pretty much all you're about is that. Have you left your 
friendships for a boyfriend or girlfriend. Um, if all you have, if the, if the only friend in your life is a boyfriend or girlfriend, then this would be who I'm talking about. Even if you're single, do you obsess over finding someone? And let me just say, just really quickly, um, if, if, you're, if you're going to Facebook, and I'm serious when I say, I'm not joking, I'm, I'm serious when I say this, but if you're going to Facebook and posting like these sort of cryptic messages like to, to different guys out there, I mean, just, can we just stop that? Can, we just, can everyone clap for that, please? Like, can we just stop that, please? Please stop doing that. And, and if, you're, if, you're, if you're venting on Facebook, like the fact that you're single or not with anybody and wanting us to feel sorry for you, can we stop that too? Can you clap for that as well? Can we stop that, please? Can we just stop with all of that, right? I, I don't really have a verse for that, but I don't think I need one, right? And so this is like elevating relationship to idolatry, and it's becoming... It's becoming like, like God in your life. And so another question for you is, do you, um, do, you, do you use relationships to escape pain? Are you someone who maybe your parents have gone through a divorce and you've got a really tough home life and you're using the relationship to almost create like your own version of family? For a lot of kids your age, especially at your age, what will happen is parents go through, through a lot of uh, tough things. Maybe a divorce happens. And, and the kid is left feeling like, I don't feel like I have a loving family, and I'm going to create one of my own, right? And so I'm going to, I feel pushed in that direction towards relationship because I don't have that kind of feeling of family at home. I just don't. I just don't. And so if you have a pen, write this next quote down. A relationship is meant to help you worship God, not for you to worship them or to be worshipped by them. A relationship is meant to help you worship God, not for you to worship them or to be worshipped by them. Looking at the Barbie analogy, right? The whole point of, of, of what that view of relationship is is that uh, she exists for him and he exists for her, right? Without the other, there's no reason for existence. That's the whole purpose. And the, the, the Christian perspective is that no, you both exist for God, and the relationship is a blessing along the way, right? The relationship is just God's way of blessing you and saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some pictures of some divine things through this relationship, but this relationship is not meant to replace me as God. It's not. That's what we call idolatry. The next question I want you to look at, number two, is the relationship keeping you from thinking clearly? Everyone knows that um, when someone is drunk, they don't see things clearly, they can't think clearly. And this is what love does to many, what they think is love to many people. They, they think of it as, you know, this is my be-all, end-all. And, and when they get so caught up in this, in this relationship thing, um, what they don't realize is they're not seeing clear, they're not thinking clearly or seeing things clearly at all. And so for some teams, being in love is like being, being drunk with like a substance, right? With alcohol. Our culture says, uh, follow your heart. If I feel it, it must be right. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? 
Here's what I want you to know this morning. You can only, listen to me, you can only follow your heart if your heart's following Jesus. Right? That's the only time you can follow your heart is when your heart's following Christ. What, what culture says to you, like, yeah, you just got to follow your heart. You just got to follow after. Well, Jeremiah 17.9 says the heart's deceitful. My heart is what leads me astray. My heart is deceiving myself. Even I can't see it clearly. I need other people in my life to say, hey, you're about to go off on the wrong path here. That's why we need people in our lives telling us these kinds of things. And so for this person, feelings, emotions, um, what they consider to be love, what I would call attraction, becomes their authority. And they say things like this. We, we, we can't help it. We're in love. Like, how can you stop? How can you stop love? And what I would say to that person is, easy. You can break up with them. You can make a decision to break up with them. But, but how do you do that when you're you're just in love with, easy, you call them on the phone, you say, hey, we're breaking up right now, click. Right? What I'm saying to you, listen, listen, what I'm saying to you, each, I probably had several, I'd say like four dating relationships before I actually met my wife. And yes, each one, when it ended, it was very difficult. It was very difficult. But we both knew it was the right thing to do. And guess what? We made it happen. And it was tough. At times, for months, it was tough. But you make a decision because you know, yeah, this is not godly. This is not right. My heart's deceiving even me. And we've got to end this. We've got to end this. Like, you don't say, like, oh, but how can you stop this? How can you? That's called, I understand attraction is a powerful thing. But attraction is not love. When, when you love someone, you're making a decision to love this person. You can make a decision to say, we're not going to be together anymore. Even though, yes, I'm still attracted, I'm still drawn to this person, but I'm making a decision because of my walk with Christ and your walk with Christ that we're not going to have this relationship anymore. Are you thinking clearly about these kinds of relationships? I will also tell you this, um, when I was in high school, probably the most destructive relationship that I was involved in was my sophomore year of high school, and for 10 months, this relationship went on, and it was about nine months and 29 days too long, right? And here's why, because we got wrapped up in a physical relationship. We didn't have sex. We were just kind of heading that direction, though, and, and what I'll tell you is that that physical relationship kept me tied to that relationship much longer than I needed to be tied to that relationship. Because what happens is you start getting physical with someone, it's like a drug. It keeps you from thinking clearly. And um, for guys and girls, this is true. And you start thinking to yourself, but I'm really going to miss like this part of our relationship. And it, it keeps you entangled longer than it needs to because you've, you've gone down the physical road, even to a certain extent. And so... But finally, Christ convicted me, and I was like, we gotta, we got to cut ties here. We can't keep going in this direction. The third question I want you to wrestle with is, is he or she a devoted follower of Christ? It is not enough for someone to say, yes, I'm a Christian. It is not enough for someone to just to profess and say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I believe that stuff. 
But the question is, are they a devoted follower of Christ? Are you a devoted follower of Christ? Are they a devoted follower of Christ? And I would say that this is the most concerning thing for me about you, for some of you. Because I think for some of you, you think, yeah, well, they're, they're a decent guy. They're a decent girl. They don't kill people, right? Well, good for them. How noble. But here's the question. Are they, are they truly following after Christ? Are they, do they have a passion and a zeal for Christ? In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14 and 15, it says this. It says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial, which is another name for Satan? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And so this verse says, what does it mean to be yoked together? Because another question you're going to throw at me is, well, is this saying you can't be friends with unbelievers? Like, how do we reach out to un- you know, people who aren't believers if we can't be friends with people like that? That's not what it's saying. The word here is yoke. This means, this means like entangled with someone, right? To where, if you think of like two oxen back in the day when they would plow a field, these oxen were hooked together, they're yoked together, so that they, when one goes this direction, they both go that direction. And if a relationship, listen to me, if a relationship is making you do that, then it's a yoked relationship, and you are entangled with that person. And I would definitely say that this, this applies to dating relationships. Because there is no relationship more entangling than the male and female relationship. This would also apply to certain friendships, possibly. It would also apply to certain business partnerships with someone else. So if you're in a relationship with someone, whatever it is, friendship, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is, and if what they are doing, sin-wise, is leading you down that path with them because you are entangled with them, that's what this verse is talking about. And this verse is pretty extreme, isn't it? It says, what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Satan? It, it makes it look like there's only two teams you can be on. And there's no middle ground. It, it makes it look like there's only either you're on Christ's team fully and wholeheartedly, or you're on Satan's team, right? And you're thinking, but you're talking about my friends. Well, I'm not, I'm just, this is just scripture. I'm not suggesting you say to your friends, so when are you going to leave Satan's team? That's not what I'm saying this morning. But I do want you to get this. Just imagine this for a moment. Imagine if you walked in to Starbucks and you saw Jesus and Satan sitting there having coffee together. And I'm sure Satan's would be extra hot. And they're having coffee together. And, um, and you'd walk over and be, you'd, first you'd be like, what in the world are Satan and Jesus doing hanging out together in Starbucks? What, why are they even, why are they here? Right? You'd walk over to them and say, you'd be like, Jesus, why are you hanging out with Satan? And he would say, Exactly. Why are you with that guy? Right? 
Because here's the question. What, you, you'd ask that about Jesus, wouldn't you? And he's asking the same thing about you. Okay, if you're saying, if you follow me, if you're a follower of mine, then why are you with someone who's not a follower of mine? Why are you with someone who is essentially on the other team? Now, I'm not saying you, you, you can't or shouldn't be friends with unbelievers. You should have those kinds of friendships, but you've got to be really, really careful, guys and girls, that you're not missionary dating, trying to win someone to Christ with your love and affection. That never works out well. Because even if they do come to Christ, are they coming to Christ because of you or because they really want to? You will have no way of knowing that if you're in a relationship with them. Because some people are going to say, well, you know, but I can change them. Girls especially struggle. Girls have this Messiah complex, like, my love can transform anybody. My love can change him. No, here, only Jesus can. Only Jesus can be his Messiah. You can't be his Messiah. And if, like I said, if, if they do come to know Christ, how do you know it's not just a show? How do you know they really, really mean it, and they're just trying to please you because you're a Christian and you want them to become a Christian? How do you know? Because you've, even, you've, you've yoked yourself to them, you've entangled yourself with them in a relationship, and you've got to let Jesus be their Messiah, and you can't be their Messiah for them. So the question is, how do you know if someone is a devoted Christ follower? I'd ask two questions about that person. Do they have a personal faith story? Do they have a personal testimony of how Christ has impacted their life and changed their life? Do they have a changed lifestyle? Have they surrendered their life to Christ and submitted their life to his authority? And are they living it out in community and living on mission with the body of Christ? Not just a professing Christian. Everyone in Texas says that. Right? But are they someone who is a, is a Christ follower? They, they love Christ. They're passionate for Christ. Their faith stands up on its own two legs. Right? Is that the kind of faith that they have? But I also have to ask you this question. If you're drawn to someone who is, if you consider yourself a believer, but you're drawn to people who are not believers in a romantic kind of way, the question is, what's up with your heart? Why, why are you drawn to people like that romantically. It's fine to be drawn to them and say, I want to reach out to them, but why are you drawn to someone who is not a believer if you consider yourself a believer? Why are you drawn to them in a romantic kind of way if you consider yourself a Christ follower? What fellowship does light have with darkness? Look at number four. The fourth question is, are you taking it slow? Are you taking it slow? Ever talk with someone uh, just one time, like you just met this person and you feel like you already know them? You don't know them, okay? You don't know them, and guys especially are really good at this. Guys are really good at putting their best foot forward when they first meet someone. I mean, girls are as well, but if you feel like you you know someone, you're like, we just had this one conversation. It was like, we've known each other our entire lives. Come on. People are really, really good. You don't know them that quickly. 
This is the kind of guy who says things like, you're the, you're the kind of person I could marry. Or the girl who says, like, how many kids do you want? Like, hey, let's slow things down here. This is, you're jumping the gun here. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And I know whenever we use that passage, people are always like, because this goes against every movie um, that you can imagine. I mean, Hollywood just throws this in your face all the time. Hey, you know, if you, if you feel like you're in love with someone, then yeah, it's fine to like cheat on your husband. It's fine to leave that guy you're engaged to that's a really good guy and follow after the, the, the idiot guy who's, you know, crazy and psycho. That, 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 that makes sense. And, and so, so Hollywood sort of pushes this theme on us, and Proverbs says, guard your heart. Not follow your heart, but guard your heart. And so our culture says one thing. The Proverbs says the complete opposite. And I think this definitely applies to how emotionally entangled you allow yourself to get, especially at the age that you're in for high school. Like, do you, are, are you just emotionally just kind of like primed for someone to come along and just wrap you up and take you into a relationship? And is that, is that where your emotions are at right now? Are you someone who's cautious and says, no, you, you know what, I want to have wisdom and discernment and discretion. I want people in my life that can say to me, like, hey, he's not a very good guy, or she's not a very good girl, and I want to be able to listen to that, listen to that kind of wisdom and discernment. Where do you, where do you fit when it comes to uh, the idea of guarding your heart? And then fifthly, the fifth question I want you to answer is this. Have you set clear physical boundaries? And we're going to spend a little bit of time on this one. Have you set clear physical boundaries? I asked a guy um, a couple of years ago where his boundaries were with his girlfriend. And he said to me, whatever she's okay with. And my response was, well, what if she's okay with sin? And we had this interesting conversation after that statement. Because what if, what if she's okay with sin? You can't have this idea that, like, I'm okay with... Because we're, we're in a culture now, people, where it's noble for a guy to say, I'll draw the line wherever she says we need to draw the line. Oh, okay. So you're saying you won't take advantage of her sexually. How noble of you. I mean, that's where we're at today, is that's considered respectful. And yet, I'm saying to myself, look, the scriptures are pretty clear. Scriptures are pretty clear. Hebrews 13, verse 4 says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. And you might say, but Dave, I'm not, I'm not married. Like, that doesn't apply to me. Yes, it does. Because it's still possible to defile the marriage bed while you're single. And let me just be really clear this morning. If you are someone who is walking in sin in this area of your life, this verse is clear. God will judge. He does not mess around with this kind of stuff. God will judge. God will judge. Now, I also want to make sure you know, if you have sinned sexually with someone at some point of your life, I also want you to know that there is forgiveness there is redemption. I am not standing here trying to say to you, like, 
hey, if, you, if you've gone through the process of, of, of grace and forgiveness with Christ, I am not condemning you today because Jesus doesn't condemn you today with that. The female at the well, he said, he said go and sin no more. There's grace and mercy from Christ. But I also want you to know, if you're someone who is still walking in sin in this area, then this verse needs to be a tough verse for you to hear this morning. This verse is clear. God will judge someone who is walking in sin in this area. And there is a difference between struggling and walking. Struggling is someone who says, you know what, I've dealt with this in the past, and I'm struggling. I need accountability. I need someone to hold me accountable. I need someone to speak into my life. I need wisdom and discernment. Can you help me? Can you, be, can you walk along with me in this part of my life? Can someone help me with that? Someone who's, who, that's someone who's struggling. Someone who's walking in it is someone who says, you know what? I don't care what Scripture says. I don't care what her parents say. I don't care what the pastor says. I'll do whatever I want to do. That's someone who's walking in it. And there is a distinction between struggling and walking. There are three sexual lies that I think you can fall prey to. And the first lie is this. It's just physical. Sex is just physical. It's just a physical act. It's not a big deal. Culture says this. Culture says sex is just physical. God says it's physical and spiritual. It affects the entire being. And I'll show you this really quickly. Culture is so hypocritical in this area because on the one hand they'll say, yeah, sex is just physical, it's not a big deal, but then the moment someone gets sexually abused, what happens? Everyone says, oh my gosh, this person was violated. This person was, and it's true, they were violated. I'm not demeaning that. I'm simply saying that you can't have it both ways. You can't say it's not a big deal in one sense, but it's a really big deal in another sense. It's always a big deal. It is physical and spiritual, and it affects the entire being. It affects the entire being. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. To sin sexually is to sin against your own body, meaning to destroy your body. And we can talk about, you know, diseases and whatnot, but I think it's more than that. I think it's actually getting it more than that. That you're destroying your entire being when you commit sexual sin. The next, uh, I think, lie that you can buy into is this. Everything except sex is okay. Everything except that is okay. A lot of Christians, in fact, I had a friend um, that I knew for three years at a previous church, a really godly guy, I mean, a guy that I thought, you're like, there's not many guys like you. And I find out three years into our friendship that he's, he thought certain things were okay sexually with his fiance, that I'm going, you thought that was okay? Uh, wait a second. <laughs> I had no idea. And, and I was just blown away because there's a very popular idea among Christian people that as long as we don't go all the way, then it's perfectly okay. It's perfectly okay. And the word for sexual immorality in this verse from 1 Corinthians is a Greek word called pornea, and it's a catch-all, a junk drawer term, meaning, yeah, 
sex, but anything else you can put in that category that we could, that we could put in that category, right? This would include pornography. This would include romance novels, um, movies that have pornography in them. In fact, uh, about a year and a half ago or so, whenever this movie came out, um, I, I was seeing on Facebook, like, moms from TBC putting on Facebook, yeah, going to see Magic Mike, and I'm going, what? Like, you're just going to put that on Facebook like it's no big deal? I mean, ridiculous. Like, Christians just thinking, yeah, it's not a big deal. That movie would go in this category. <laughs> Any kind of sexual immorality. The next question I think that, um, it's actually more of a question for you to think about. People ask the question, how far is too far? And I think this question by itself is a lie. I'll tell you why. Because the question itself is sinful. Because you're asking it selfishly. And some are going to say, well, okay, what, are you one of those legalistic people who says, like, kissing is wrong uh, when you're dating? I'm saying, yeah. I'll tell you why. Because um, I've been there and done that, and I know what happens. Let me just, let's just remove the Bible just for a second, if we can do that just for a second. Let's just use, like, wisdom for a moment, okay? Because if you need a verse for everything to, like, do or not do, that means you don't have any wisdom. Because we don't need a verse that says, should I touch a hot stove? Do we? Do we need a verse for that? Because we just know, here's what's going to happen if you do that. So let me just tell you, what's going to happen is, if you start making out with your boyfriend or girlfriend in high school, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get turned on to the point that only sex can satisfy you. Right? Right. Everyone knows that. If you're making out with someone, you're going to get start heading down that road and, and reach the point where you just go, you know what, this is, this is very frustrating, right? There, there's no satisfaction in that. Like, that's meant to happen between married people. Now, we can make a case, we can argue all day about this, but if, if a couple is kind of like older, moving towards engagement, moving towards marriage, I understand that there's... There's like an affectionate kind of like, I just gave her a kiss goodnight and it was a done deal. I understand all that. I'm not going to split hairs and argue about all that kind of stuff. I just want to focus on right now, when it comes to the physical relationship, that's not the reason why many of you ask the question, right? And I would say it this way. I, I don't think your desire sometimes to get physical with someone, is rooted in a desire to make her more like Jesus. Right? I, I don't think you're asking the question like, I mean, if I kiss her, I mean, it's going to help her sanctification. It's going to help her growth with Christ, you know. I mean, we can argue about this all day. I'm just telling you, here's what's going to happen if you head down that road. But if you need a verse, I'll give you two verses. Matthew 5.28, uh, Jesus talks about lust and says, if you even look at a woman lustfully, just look, you've committed adultery in your heart. So if someone's doing more than looking, there's a good chance there's some lust going on, right? And so is what you're doing physically, is it causing lust? Now, can like, a hug, holding hands. I mean, you have to answer that question yourself. 
Is that causing you to lust? If so, might not want to do that. Might not want to do that. And so when, when you ask the question about kissing, does, does kissing cause lust? Well, what are your thoughts when you're making out with someone? I mean, I don't think it's about your AP chemistry exam, is it? I don't think so. And so that's just what happens when you head down that road. I'll give you a second verse, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 2. Uh, Paul says, For the young men to treat the young women as sisters in all purity. And I think he uses the word as sisters. It's meant to freak you out. It really is. Like you need to, the person you're sitting next to that's like your, your brother in Christ or your sister in Christ, he used that, that word intentionally. You're supposed to go, yeah, sister, brother, whoa, that's weird. And it's meant to freak you out so that you know, yeah, this, if you're part of the body of Christ, we're family. And would you, would you violate your sister or your brother in Christ? Do you want to ask that question, how far is too far? Do you want to ask that question? Because the question you should be asking is, how can I protect her? How can I keep from exploiting her? How can I follow Christ in this area of my life? And you might say this morning that, Dave, that's just extreme. Yeah, I know it is, especially in our culture. But you have to be extreme sometimes to be pure. You have to be. You have to be. The sixth question I want you to answer is this. Does he or she have character? Luke 6, uh, verse 43 says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. A tree is known by its fruit. Someone's heart is seen in their actions and words. Some people say things like, you know, don't judge me. You can't judge my heart. Yeah, we can. This verse says we can. This verse says that we can judge people based on their outward actions. I don't mean this in a condemnation way. I just mean that you can look at someone's outward actions and words, how they behave, and say, yeah, something's up with their heart. You can do that. This verse says that we can. So you can't separate our behavior from what happens in your heart. They are connected. So the question is, how do you know if someone has character? I would say it this way. A surrendered life will be a sanctified life. A surrendered life is going to be someone who is on the pathway wanting to follow Christ, be sanctified, grow in their walk with Christ. That's a person who has put their life in Christ's hands. They want to grow in their walk with Christ. So the question is, do we see the gospel at work in their life? Can, they, can this person forgive someone when someone wrongs them? How do they handle their sin? Do they turn and repent, or do they push it under the rug and act like it never happened? Do they have the heart of David as they repent and turn from sin? Or are they like Saul and never deal with their sin? And so I would, I would also encourage you as well, that if, you're, if you wonder how you're doing in this area of your life, ask a leader here at Overflow. Last year um, at Impact Camp, there was a girl that pulled me aside and said, hey, can I ask you some questions? I said, sure. And so she said, I want to know how I'm doing in this part of my life. And then I just preached to her for like an hour, which I'm sure she found really annoying. Um, 
But if you want to know how you're doing, just ask. Ask us. We'll tell you. For some of you, we'll tell you honestly how you're doing in that area. And then to close out, I want you to give you like just a big picture here. You will fail miserably in relationships if you don't get the purpose and the big picture of why we even have this thing called male-female relationship. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 says this. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The AC is just really powerful today. Let me get this paper here. So Ephesians 5, I use this verse all the time. And if there's ever anything I want you to leave with when it comes to dating and relationships, it's this idea in mind. The first thing I want you to know is that the point of marriage, what's the point of marriage? It's to paint a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. Write this down. It's to paint a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. And the second point of marriage is to make both people more like Jesus. That's the big picture. Like everything else is additional and a blessing. But these things have to be the center of any kind of male-female relationship. And if they're not, it's going to fail miserably. To show you how this has to work out in life, um, about a year and a half ago, something interesting happened um, in our driveway at our house. Um, We live on a steep hill. And so my wife parks in the garage, and I park down the street. But sometimes there'd be some days where I would park in front of the garage door, and the garage door is shut. My wife would be about to pull out to go somewhere, and she'd be like, Dave, you got to move your car so I can pull out. And she'd say, you need to not park up there because one day I'm going to hit your car. And I said, well, if you hit my car, that's going to be your fault, not mine. And so... um. We went around about this, and so I tried to respect that and just not, you know, park in the driveway right behind where she was at in the garage. And so um, this one day, I get home from church kind of late one Wednesday night, and it's late. I'm carrying a bunch of stuff up the hill to my car, so I think to myself, I'm going to go ahead and park in front of the garage because I'm leaving early the next morning. It's not going to be a big deal. And so the next morning comes, and something happened to where I end up staying home to work from home that morning. And my wife says, I'm going to go with the kids to the gym. I'll be back in a little bit. And I'm like, okay, y'all have fun. And I hear the garage door opening up, and I remember my car is parked behind the garage door. I'm, like, running through the house, like, as fast as I can, turn the corner, and as I come out to, the, to open the garage door, the little door there, um, I hear this, and I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> And so she gets out of the car, and I do have permission to tell the story, by the way. Um, she gets out of the car, and we're both just like, see, you did it, right? And, um, and so we both, here's a situation where, and the damage was minimal, but here's what I'll tell you. Um, you can make a case that both of us were at fault for this, right? It's one of those gray, like, yeah, but Dave, she warned you. Yeah, but I warned her. Yeah, but she, okay, back and forth, back and forth. But what I want you to get from this is that if you don't approach relationships when you are sinned against or perceived to be sinned against, that you can forgive and move on, if the gospel is not at the center of your relationships, they're going to fail. They will fail. The gospel has to be at the center of relationships. 
And I know it is crazy, crazy late, so here's what I'll tell you to do. Um, how about you guys pick, like, two or three of your five questions there and close out and then pray for your tables when you're done. Go ahead and close out.